Morning, everybody. My name is Jeff. It's good to be with you. Um, before I get into the sermon, um, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. We love you guys, and there is uh, a mission on hand with being a father, so don't forget that. I'm not preaching on that today, but I just wanted you guys to be reminded of that. Thank you to my beautiful wife for being a voice of reason while I was preparing this week and helping uh, calm me off the ledge as I try to determine what God wants to speak to us this morning. Um, feel free to correct me, Brittany. <laughs> so this morning, um, as we were singing, I, another side note, man, I'm already on three tangents, haven't even started. That's my personality. I am sorry, not sorry. Um, so this morning, we're singing that song where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I, I really want us to have this posture as we listen to the word this morning. Um, and that comes from a psalm of David. And David isn't just saying, it's easy to think if you misread it, like, bless my soul, Lord. But what David is saying is, I know who the authority of Jesus is. I know who my God is. And I am commanding my soul to bless the Lord. And so if that can kind of be our heart posture this morning, that's my prayer for us, that we would understand the authority of Jesus and even have the audacity to say, my soul, my utmost being, would you fall in line with the truth of Jesus this morning? Um, so, no more tangents until later, maybe. Um, we are going to be reading out of Matthew 16. Sorry, thank you, Brittany. Matthew 17, 1 through 8. You guys want to turn there. As you're turning there, I'll give us a little bit of context. So as we've heard, this is the moment where Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. And before this takes place, um, chapters 14, 15, 16, we see Jesus going around with his disciples. He's doing all these amazing things. He, is, he fed 5,000 people. He walks on water. He's healing the sick. He's healing the blind. He, heals an, or he, sorry, he feeds another 4,000 people. So he's doing all these wonderful miracles. Then in uh, chapter, chapter 16, Jesus says, who do you guys think I am? And Peter declares him to be the Messiah. And in verse 21, it tells us, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He encourages and both warns his disciples. He says, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross. And it's from this point that we get to the Mount of Transfiguration. The text says about a week later, we arrive at this point. And so the time leading up to this glorious reveal uh, for these three disciples, we see that Jesus is physically demonstrating his authority to, to his disciples, all 12 of them. And now he has warned them about the suffering that is going to come. And he's kind of given them an outline of what his mission is going to be. And so this moment that we're about to read about that's on the mountain is this time where Jesus is saying, this is true, this is true, this is my mission, and let me encourage you with what's about to happen. And so we turn to Matthew 17, 1 through 8. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. See, up to this point, the disciples had seen all the good works that Jesus had done. They kind of experienced the miracles. There's this turning in their hearts, I believe, where they're like, man, this guy might just be the real deal. We have dropped everything in our lives to follow him, and I think that he's the real deal. Peter even declares 12 verses earlier, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. So why is Jesus doing this? It's really easy to read this passage and say, well, he's God, so he wanted to show himself to be God. He can do whatever he wants. He just wanted to be exalted, and he wanted them to bow down at their feet and worship him and just have just awe and reverence. And while most of those things are true, there was a big picture thing that Jesus was doing with this moment. And we have to understand that if you read through any of the scriptures, there's always a miracle and then like a big move in the kingdom that happened. It wasn't like Jesus performed a miracle and then nothing, right? There's always a reason behind it. And so I want to encourage us that Jesus didn't go on the mountain and show these three disciples who he was just to be exalted and lifted up, but he did it for their sake and for their good, that by showing them his glory, he was actually lifting them up and bolstering them for the journey ahead. In the uh, Luke version of this account, it says that they actually went on the mountain so Jesus can pray. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But let's um, just, side note, don't forget, Jesus is up there to pray. And he took these three disciples with him. And we're going to talk, there's another point in the Bible where he takes them to pray. And another unfortunate thing happens. So Jesus' mission is not to just, he tells his disciples, I came so that I must die. And in this moment, He's on this mountain in all of his glory, and there's still this vision of my mission is down there in the valley. It's not here on the mountain, but it's on the valley, in the valley. Luke's account, it's kind of cool if you read through all three accounts of this story, you get kind of a big picture view of what's going on. And Luke tells us um, that Jesus, um, sorry, let me back up one step. So the disciples, when they saw Jesus in all of his glory, they're actually sleeping they went up on the mountain, they fell asleep, they awoke to Jesus in all of his glory, shining with all of his brilliance, saw him there, and Luke tells us that Jesus was with Moses and Elijah, and they were talking about his impending death in Jerusalem. He says, or the Greek version is they're talking about his exodus in Jerusalem, his exit from this world into his kingdom. And so what Jesus is doing is encouraging these three disciples. I don't know if you guys have ever like had like a, a, like trained for a marathon or something, or maybe just go to the gym or whatever. I'm going to the gym is a marathon for me. Um, (laughs) But you, there's always this like build up, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go out and accomplish what my goal is. And here Jesus is saying, disciples, I have given you this bold, big mission and I want to show you the fullness of my glory so that we, when we go on that mission, you can look back at this and know that I am God. You may know that I am king. You can know that the truth that I speak is absolute truth and there is no room for error in it. See, verse 
or 12 verses before this, Jesus uh, asked the the disciples who he is. And Peter says, Jesus says, uh, verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. See, Jesus is already working on the hearts of the disciples, and they've already realized, started to realize who he is, but they still need this moment of encouragement. They still need Jesus to show up and be like, this is who I am. And so what I really want us to understand this morning is that God gives us these mountaintop moments. I'm going to continue to call them mountaintop moments to to prepare us for the valleys that we have. And sometimes those valleys are valleys that are either self-inflicted, self-imposed, or the enemy trying to bring us down, or whatever it may be. But oftentimes, those valleys are valleys of mission, where we are pushing through to pursue the kingdom of God, to say yes to Jesus. And so these mountain moments aren't, or these mountain moments are there so that we're in, when we're in mission, when we're having a tough time, we can look back and say, ah, I remember the splendor of my king. I remember that he commissioned me. He set me apart. He chose me. And I know that he is good. See, we're not just struggling for the sake of struggling. Jesus doesn't want us to go into mission and just be like, this is so weighty. This is horrible. Like, why is this happening? But through the struggle, we are accomplishing something good. We are accomplishing his work. And Peter on that mountain, he knew what the good work was ahead. And he just, man, Peter, I love Peter. Because he is a bumbling fool. And I find that I am a bumbling fool a lot of the time as well. You know, he just, he, he believes God, and then the next minute, he, like literally, he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. And then Jesus says, I'm going to have to go off and die. And Peter drags Jesus aside, and the, the text says that he rebukes Jesus. It's like, he just declared that he's the Son of God, and now he's rebuking Jesus. And that's the moment where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? So there's, there's this, like, this give and take in Simon's life. But what I want us to understand is that Jesus is our encourager. Jesus is there to say that regardless of what's going on, whether the valley is something that is imposed by the enemy or a valley that is there that we are called to walk through specifically for his mission, that he is encouraging us, he is building us up, he is strengthening us and enabling us to do his will on earth. And my heart just like breaks because I know that there are a lot of people who are like, well, that's like a mission for some people. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not capable enough. God has not equipped me to do what he wants me to do. And that is an absolute lie. You know, Jesus equips all of us to go from that mountain, to take this encouragement and go down in the valley and be his hands and feet. And so if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, that's cool, but that's for other people, that is not. That is for you specifically. God desires for all of us, what does he tell the disciples? To go to the ends of the world, to all the nations, to make disciples, to spread the gospel. And that is what we are called to do. And through that, Jesus is our encourager. So when we surrender our lives to Jesus and declare him to be the son of God, it's kind of like what's happening with Peter. See, Peter's like, you are the son of God. And on this mountaintop, Jesus is saying, yes, Peter, you got it right. 
Let me show you all my glory. Let me even like back, what, back up what you said and just like give you that, like, no pun intended, but that golden star. Let me, let me pin that on you and say, yes, well done, my son. Now let's get to work, right? So the, the issue with our own hearts is that we read this story and we think, ah, if only I could have been there. You know, if only I could see Jesus the way Peter, James, and John did. And I want to encourage you that that is, I mean, that's how I first read this text. When I, when I first went through this, I was like, man, I would really love, like if I had time machine tokens, I'd love to go back to this point and see, and see, thanks, and see Jesus in all of his brilliance. But the issue is that when we have that heart posture, what we're doing is we're exalting this one moment and we're basically saying, well, that was it. That was the end all be all for Jesus's glory in our lives. And the fact is that Jesus is still active. The Holy Spirit is still moving. The Godhead still wants this kingdom to be pushed forward in our, both our hearts and this world. And so we can't look at this moment and think, well, there's this big grand moment that happened and well, we missed out on it. But the fact is that we may not have experienced that, but in our lives, we experience the glory of God in every single way possible. But the, re the <laughs> The unfortunate thing is we have sin in our hearts, and it blinds us from seeing this glory. So I wanted to point us to just a few places that we can see the glory of God. The easiest, at least for me, is in creation. You know, nature. Who likes to go for hikes? Who's been to Chino Hill State Park when it's not brown but really green? Who's gone to Yosemite? Who's laid out in uh, an area far from a city and just laid and looked at the stars. You know, the glory of our king is in all of creation. You know, he created, I'm pointing around that this is a building, but he created all of this for our enjoyment. He created all of nature so that we can look at giant sequoias and say, wow, my God created that. He created the stars so that we can look at them and know that he has authority over even celestial things. So Isaiah 40, 26 says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Romans 1-2. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. I have a whole, I, we're going to go through a bunch of stuff about Jesus' glory, but on the, like the simplest thing, nature, creation, his glory has been put into nature. So what else? Our salvations and our stories, our testimonies, reflect the glory of Christ. And just a side note, I want to say that we do not have any glory of our own. You know, we only reflect the glory that Jesus has, been, has put in us. And luckily, he's lav he lavishes us with, with glory and grace. But our testimonies are a sign of God's glory. When we talk to each other and we say, well, you know, I used to be this really horrible person. You talk to my wife, ask her how she, we've known each other since we were 12. Ask her what she thought of me when I was 12 years old. I was uh, not a kind person to say the least. But we talk about our testimonies, it's like, Wow. The transformative glory of God is present in our lives. 
If we call ourselves Christians, we can't deny that God came in and just blew open the doors. He didn't just open the door, but he came in and Jackie channed the door down. Zach's making a fun face. He Jackie channed the door down and said, I am here to completely change your life, to put to death the old man and make a new creation in you. And that is glorious. Amen? What else? We see his glory in answered prayers and miracles. That's pretty self-explanatory. Miracle happens. It's like unbelievable. We see his glory in worship. I don't know, this morning maybe you're worshiping and you just felt like something new in your heart. It's the glory of Christ breaking through and revealing new truths to you. We see it in the body of Christ. That's all of us, the church, those who call themselves um, disciples. We see the glory in the church. And I want to say that even this morning, there are people in this church who are struggling. There may be circumstances or illnesses or just sin that they need help partnering with. We are not perfect people by any stretch. And there are people in this church today that need each other's or need the help of the body. And we we as a church need to encourage one another. You know, we lose sight of these mountaintop moments and we think that we're hopeless. But God gives us this body, this church, these people so that we can go to our brothers and sisters and say, I have had a really rough week. I don't see the mountaintop. I don't see that glorious moment that Jesus gave me. And it's our responsibility as the body of Christ to be like, well, you know what? I saw God this week. He showed up. We prayed for this and this happened and he's changed my heart. He's encouraged me in these ways. And so church, we need to be encouraging each other. We need to have conversations that aren't just like, hey, how's your day? Or how's your week? Oh, it's fine. How's your week? Oh, it's fine. But when we ask those questions, can we be bold enough and vulnerable enough to just tell each other the truth? I mean, that's what it is. It's like, how was your week? Well, you know, it was rough because this or that. Like, I can need some encourage. I, I really need some encouragement. And through that, we're able to speak truth. We're able to say, like David, like, I command my soul to bless the Lord. I command my soul with all my being to just ooze the glory of Christ. And so us as a body, I want to charge us this morning, we need to be a healthy body of Christ. We can't just talk to one another on Sundays and just let it fly out the door. You know, Kelly, Mike, and I are the pastors here, and we have a deep, deep conviction to care for you guys. But it's also your guys' responsibility to care for one another. And that's hard sometimes, I know that. There's some messy things going on. But God is big enough to empower us, to encourage us, to give us these mountaintop moments to look at and say, I know you don't see the mountaintop, but let me tell you about the one that I was given. So Jesus is affirming Peter's declaration, just to hop back to Peter, Jesus is affirming the declaration that he made that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And this was a big deal for Peter to do because it was countercultural, it was counterpolitical. I mean, if, he, if anybody heard that he was saying that, we all know what happened to Jesus when he claimed to be the Son of God. What did the Pharisees do to him? They would have easily, he would have easily, if he was not under the protection of Jesus, been snatched up and murdered for the sake of declaring Jesus to be the Son of God. And so it's a big deal for him to do that, and it's an even bigger deal for Jesus to say, well done, my son, let me affirm you by showing you my brilliant face, by showing you how glorious I am. So I think if we go back to our heart postures, we go, man, we wish we can be there. And so with that, 
It's like, man, if Peter was in the presence of God, then surely he was just awestruck. He was just falling at his face. He was going, holy, 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 Abba, Father. That's not what Peter did. You know, he completely messed it up. See, verse 4, it says, And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. See, Luke's account says that Peter says these things as Moses and Elijah were leaving. They're like on their way out, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's good that we are here. Let's like make some tents. Let's stay here a while. And the fault in Peter's actions is that he knows that there is a mission to, to have. Christ has given him this commissioning, and yet he wants to keep Jesus on the mountain. He's saying this experience here is way more important than what, what we're about to do. All that like suffering and like you dying thing, like, I don't know. This there's like your glory, I see your glory, I receive your glory. Let's stay here and dwell in your glory. The man who just said that he was the Son of God has already lost sight of the mission on hand. See, I want you guys to think who Who's like your two favorite celebrities? Like where you're like, oh, I'd love to have dinner or lunch or coffee or whatever. Like just take a moment. Who would those two celebrities be? Because for Peter and James and John, I'm going to talk mostly about Peter this morning because he's amazing. But for Peter, Elijah and Moses were like the guys. Like besides Jesus, they were like the, the men that he would always want to see because Moses represented the law for the exodus out of Egypt, this God saving his people out of physical slavery. And Elijah represented all the, the prophetic words that were spoken about Jesus. And so for, for him to wake up and see the glory of Jesus and then see Elijah and Moses, it's like a, a triple, he's like bam, 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 left, right, left. He's hit with all three. And so who are those celebrities where if Jesus showed up, you'd be like, Oh man, Jesus, you're cool, but like, let's talk for a minute with these other guys. For my wife, I think it may be uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines. You know, you guys know them. They do like the home home makeover stuff. I'm I'm not really into it, so I can't speak intelligibly intelligibly about it. But if Jesus showed up and Chip and Joanna Gaines were there talking about what what are they like shiplap? <laughs> I know that my wife is no better than anybody else. I'm sorry. But the sin in our heart would probably be like, hey, Jesus, whatever you want to do, whatever mission you're about to commission me for, like, let, let's put that on pause. Let's talk about home makeovers for a minute with Chip and Joanna Gaines because they're really cool people and they're really stylish and I want my house to look like them. And what's it, shabby chic? And uh, no, not shabby chic. See, I told you, I know nothing about interior design. But I think all of us have that in our hearts where this moment would come and I don't think that any of us would respond with just awe and reverence. I think we'd all kind of be like caught up in the moment and be like Peter and be like, I kind of want to talk to these really cool guys that are supposed to be dead and uh, are actually not dead, and I want to hear all their opinions about things. So you may be arguing, well, Jeff, that's not fair because Peter just woke up and he was sleeping. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So see, the beauty of the moment was lost on Peter because of the sin in his heart. But what does Jesus do? And Autumn did a great job of, of explaining this to us. 
See, if we were Jesus, we'd be standing there and we'd be glorious. We may be like, take it all in. And then Peter does this and we'd probably be like Rodney Dangerfield. Be like, no respect. Get no respect here. All the meta guys are, I have no clue what you're talking about. I know that I'm officially not young anymore when I could say a reference and the younger crowd no longer knows it. He's a comedian. Looked it up. No respect. Okay? That's profound. Maybe not. But, you know, we'd show up, and if we were Jesus, we'd have all of our glory, and Peter would do this, and we'd probably be put off. We'd be like, I'm trying to affirm him for his truth. I'm trying to build him up. I'm trying to encourage him. And now look what he's done. He's completely messed this up. But there's no fire and brimstone. It's not like Jesus is like, off the mountain. I now have 11 disciples. James and John, take note. I'm going to just turn around. I'm going to do this again. When you turn around, smile and awe in my presence. But he doesn't do that. See, the disciples squander the moment, yet Jesus embraces them. They squander it so much that the Father has to show up. It says, while Peter was talking, the cloud descended. The Father interrupted Peter. It was like, don't say anything else that you might regret. And the Father shows up and he says, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And Jesus goes and approaches them as they're face down on the ground. You know, he, you know he had to like kneel or squat or something in order to touch them. He had to kneel down and touch them and grab them and say, do not fear. He didn't just kick them off the mountain for ruining this moment. See, Peter's sin was not going to stop Jesus of the mission that he was about to accomplish. And we know that from the text, if we go to, uh, where are my notes? Um, well, I don't know where it is in my notes, but uh, Peterson wasn't going to stop him from, from what they are going to do. And we know that Peter was critical in what was about to happen. And so Jesus lavishes his grace upon him. And I want to say that if in this moment, if in the moment when Christ revealed all of his glory to this man... And he messed it up. How easy is it for him to lavish us with grace in mo little moments? When we mess it up, when Jesus says, I have commissioned you for this, go and be my disciple. And we mess it up, and he doesn't say, well, that's it. You're no longer my disciple. I'm done. But we have a king that wants to come alongside us and grab us and pick us up and say, it's okay. Do not fear. Do not fear. I am big enough. I am strong enough. I am sovereign enough to lavish my grace upon you and continue to commission you for the mission for the road that is ahead. We know the, the disciples, they had a lot of difficulties. I, I, I often think that, like, how did none of them being people just split in the middle of this? Like, God just had a grip on their hearts for them not to run away in the middle of all these things that were happening to them. When they see persecution and suffering, they knew who Jesus was. So, the other thing that we see about Peter, and this is kind of a, a big picture view, is that in this moment of seeing God in all of his glory, it didn't just completely make his life do a 180. 
You know, we, we, we go back to our own selfish hearts of thinking, I want to be there. I want to experience that because everything would be perfect. But the fact is, Peter was far from perfect from there, there on out. It's not like this one moment made his whole life righteous. It's not like all sin was just cleansed from his heart by seeing this beautiful moment of glory. We know that, as I mentioned, he declared Jesus to be Christ, to be the Messiah, and then he rebuked him. You know, he says, Jesus, I would die for you. And then the time comes, and he's like, I don't know that guy. Who are you talking about? Jesus who? See, he's a man that was extremely flawed. And from there on out, he had ups and downs and all over the place. And, I mean, his faith was a lot like you and mine. We're all over the place. But, but, we do see that when the disciples are met with the Holy Spirit, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's this transformation in Peter's heart where he now understands in a deeper connection what Jesus has been teaching them through this whole walk. See, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit changed Peter's heart that he was able to be the leader um, that Jesus desired for him to be. And I know that because you read through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, any of the books that Peter wrote, writ, have, blah, 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 any of the books that he has written, you read through them, and they are just oozing with him sit, talking about the Spirit leading him, with the Spirit guiding him, with the glory of God. This is a man that was extremely tra- changed. He was dramatically transformed because he met with the Spirit. And so we have to understand, we, I mean, we say this all the time, but the gospel is not a moment in our life. The gospel must be a transformative thing that happens continually. We can't just be a moment where we surrender to Jesus on the mountain and say, I see your glory, I accept it, and I'm good forever. But we need to be constantly renewing ourselves in the Spirit. We need to be leaning on him, asking, what's next? What's next? What's next? Can we be like annoying kids to God? Can we be like my toddlers that are just so excited to like know things and do things and they think that I know the answer to everything and I don't? Can we be like annoying kids that are just like constantly asking their father like, I want more of you. I want more of you. Show me more. Go play with me outside. Let's play blocks. Let's play cars. What do Legos mean? I don't know. But can we be like that with our God? He is big enough to want us to come with to him and question him and continue to lean on his glory and the gospel to transform our hearts. Peter was not sanctified by one moment. I got way ahead of myself here, guys. I'm sorry. See, we, if we could rely on Jesus just once and be done, we'd have no necessity for him ever again. And I want to say that we... I had to, I'm going to have the guys put something on the screen because it's a little bit of a play on words, but we are holy vessels, not holy vessels. See, so we are full of holes, we are holy, but we are not holy. See, if we were a bowl, Jesus would pour into us and we'd hold the glory, we'd hold all the sustaining life that he gives us, but the fact is that we are more like colanders. He pours into us. And we just let it ooze right out. And this is the dependence that we need on Christ because we are holy. Somebody asks you, how are you doing? You say, I am holy. And when they, they say, when they look at you crooked, say, I am full of flaws. Right? 
So how do we lean into this? How do we say, God, I'm here. I want you to transform me. I want the same transformative power that you had on the mountain in my own heart. I want the same transformative power in my life as what was on the mountain. Well, the good thing is that we don't get to just see the glory of Christ. but We get to receive it. We get to be actively a part of it. And I'm going to throw a bunch of verses at you right now. And you don't have to fully articulate all of them. But the, the Bible is full, full of verses saying how much the, our God loves us, how much he wants to lavish us with gifts, how much he wants his glory to be endued in our hearts. Imbued? Imbued. In our hearts. So Romans 8, 18 through 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We have a freedom in the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, meaning we're not ashamed, beholding the glory of the Lord. We behold the glory of the Lord. And being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are transformed by His glory. Philippians, Philippians 3, 20-21. Sean, you're doing an excellent job flipping through back there. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject, even, or to subject all things to Himself. So by the same sovereignty that Jesus holds all creation in his hand, he's allowing us to have a body when we get to heaven that is like his, that is radiant on the mountain like his. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We don't get glory, just glory, we get the kingdom. John 17, 22 through 24. The glory that I have given, that you have, blah, blah, let me start over. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus is saying, the same glory that you, the Father, have given me, I have given to my disciples. Moreover, his people, being us, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. See, not only do we receive the glory of Christ, we don't just get a spotless body. We aren't told that just that we get the kingdom, but we get to live in all eternity in perfect relationship with God. And there is nothing better than that. Nothing. Perfect relationship. You guys realize that the, the Trinity was in perfect relationship before they decided to make creation? perfect. There's no arguments. It's not, I like vanilla. I like chocolate. I like vanilla. Mustard, ketchup, mustard, ketchup, dogs, cats. Perfect relationship. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was broken for our sake. When Jesus was on the cross. And God turned his back. There's a connection that was broken for our sake. So that we can have perfect relationship with our Father. I had to talk about fathers because it's Father's Day. So we have the opportunity to see God in all of his glory and have perfect relationship with him.
That's beautiful. So I threw a whole bunch of scripture at you guys. Hopefully you're taking notes. You can go back and read them. But the point is, the gospel is full of God giving us and revealing us and transform, giving us his glory and transforming us and wanting us to inherit his kingdom. It's full of it. I only had, was it five or six um, sections here? I could read for five minutes. You're, you're welcome that I didn't read them all. So, I'm running out of time, but how do we receive the sanctification and glory that Jesus offers us? Well, if we go back, let's read what the Father tells the disciples when he descends in the cloud. I'm losing my spot here. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. See, if we're to receive the glory of Christ, if we're to receive the sanctification that is the Holy Spirit making us more and more like Christ, we need to listen to him. We need to be just drenched by his word. We need to be reading and studying, and we need to be like that annoying little kid that I was talking about. We need to be like, I want to know everything there is about my father because my father is amazing. I want to listen to him. And in this moment, the disciples wanted, or Peter, he wanted to do. He wanted to do something. And what the father tells him is, listen to my son. What he has told you is true. What he has told you is profound. What he has told you is life-changing. It is kingdom-changing. It is history-changing. And it's the same, for, the same is true for you and I. When we listen to God, when we seek him out, when we earnestly say, Lord, I need you, would you speak into my life? We can either listen to what he says, or we can say, eh, let's stay up here and party a little more with Elijah and Moses. The other cool thing the father says is in his affirmate, or what the father does, is that he affirms Jesus as being God. He says, this is my beloved. In the Luke version, it says, this is my chosen one. See, God is saying, guys, what are you doing? This is my beloved son. This isn't just some man that you need to listen to, but this is God. This is Peter, this is who you claim to be. This is God. I have chosen him. He has a purpose. He has a mission here. You need to listen to him. And we, as Christians, get the same message from our Father, from our Heavenly Father. There will be, there will be a day where we see him eye to eye, face to face, in all of his glory, in all of his radiance. And God isn't going to stand there and say, this is my servant who is real obedient. But God is going to say, this is my son whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. See, when we receive the glory of Christ and we see God in heaven, all God sees is the blood of Christ. He sees the perfection of his only begotten son and he declares the same thing over us that he declares over Jesus. I love you. You are beloved. You are chosen. You are sacred. You are my people. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And that's our hope. I know that there, it's easy to be like, well, I don't see the mountain moments when I'm in the valleys. And if there's any mountain moment at all that we need to be looking to, it's this future hope in Christ. It's the fact that by Jesus' blood on the cross, we are allowed to enter into the family of God. We aren't on the outside of the tent. The, the text says 
that the veil was torn. We sang about that this morning in one of the songs. The veil was torn. In the Old Testament, there is a, a, a curtain between the inner and outer tent, and the inner was the Holy of Holies. Only um, the family of Aaron, the priests, were allowed to go in there. If you went in there, you can read stories. Earth opens up, swallows people. People were like incinerated. It's like some intense stuff. And Jesus allowed us to go into the Holy of Holies. He tore the veil and said, my children, come in here. I want to lavish you with gifts. I want to embrace you. I want to give you my grace. I want to give you my love. I want to give you my freedom. I want to break the, sin, break the power of sin in your life. I want to basically just tell death, get out of here. You're no more. And that is the mountaintop that we look to when we are in the valleys. That is the mountaintop. And that's why it's so important for us to be encouraging one another. Because regardless of what's going on in our lives, whether we're having a good day or bad day or good week or bad week, God is there to encourage us, to encourage one another. And, you know, this last year was, uh, I'd say, a valley for, for us personally, my wife and I. And in January of 2020, before COVID was a thing, there we were living life enjoying what God had given us. Um, Brittany was pregnant with twins, and we had just been asked to, uh, to come on to eldership. And uh, I was just praying. It's like, Lord, like, I really feel a pulling towards this, but like, you know, we're having twins. That's kind of a big thing, and I feel like maybe that may take up a lot of my time. And I just really felt the presence of God and him speak and say, don't worry. I am going to be your sustaining power. When you can't manage... I'm going to be there to give you what you need. And I can say that in this last year, I didn't know COVID was going to happen. Thank God I didn't, because that would have scared me out of being on eldership, potentially. But we had twins. We hopped on eldership team. We got thrown into a COVID storm. We're doing all these different things. And while I'm in the valley of this mission, while I'm trying to figure out what way is up and down and left and right and how to be a good father and how to be a good pastor and how to still be a good employee and all these things are being in this like just tumble cycle of life, I remember this mountain moment where God says, I will sustain you. I will be the one that breathes life. I will be the, the wind under your wings. And it's these moments that we need to cling to because life's rough. Things are going to happen, either because we're sinful or the enemy's just trying to really get us down. And we need to look to these moments and know that we serve a king that is awesome. He is wonderful, and he is sovereign. So I kind of want to leave us with a little bit of lighthearted stuff, even though this is really hopeful. I love seeing um, accidental righteousness in secular songs. It's kind of a, a fun thing of mine. And I want to say, Marvin Gaye had it right. You know? Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't No, I'm not going to sing the rest. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. Right? That's Jesus' song for us. There is no mountain high enough. There's no river wide enough. There's no valley low enough to keep Jesus from getting to us. So when you hear that song, know that Jesus loves you, right? So we're going to go, um, we're going to, um, in response to this, we're going to take communion this morning. And I encourage us as we take communion 
just to be like, God, what is the mountaintop that I am looking to for hope? And if, there, if you can't think of any one thing, I got one thing for you. The blood of Christ. Jesus died for us. He died for our sake. And that mountain is never being taken away from us. It is always true, and it is always good, and we can always look to it for hope.